one of those uh, passages that you all, you look at and you think, what's going on there? What's going on? We've gone through a very small part of the Old Testament, and we will finish it this year. But the Genesis stories are laying the foundation of the story of God's people. There is this sort of setting the scene. You know when you start watching a new series, and you're halfway through the first episode, you think, is this going to have a storyline? But there's carefully setting the scene and building the characters up. In the same way, Genesis is very much setting the scene for the journey of God's people. But in the setting of the scene, it's showing good and evil, right and wrong. It's also showing greed and humility. The story so far has been one of God's creation and the fall of mankind. When Andy led us speaking about that fall and the greed, we see that being echoed here in this passage, that the bad behaviour, the things that cause the exile from the garden are still being worked out here in chapter 11. But in the meantime, we've had the story of Noah and how the evil people caused that world flood. And they were flood, and God said, I will never flood the earth again. But still they did not learn. This story follows the end of the story of God's covenant with Noah and the rising of the nations. We don't know how long it was between Noah and this passage exactly. It could have been a hundred years, it could have been a few hundred years, but what we do know is that Noah's descendants have become multiple, and they have spread out, and they have started to become tribes, and they've started to seek to have their own identity. Identity is something we still have a striving for now, isn't it? Uh, you know, going out, we need to have those sort of status symbols. And status symbols mean so much to people. Uh, maybe not you all, but in the world generally, the world is building and having status symbols. There is a status symbol, maybe, if you want to describe it, with Apple products. You know, and everybody, I've got an Apple product, it's better than your Android product. There is status, there's nothing wrong with Apple per se, by the way, except, I suppose you could say that the fall of man was not meeting the terms and conditions on the first Apple product, I don't know. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with it per se, but it's the status symbol, it's what it, we, how we view it. And then there is those people who need those big cars, the fast cars, and they need to be on the road, and they dominate the road because they have the status symbol. Their car can accelerate quicker than anybody else, 
and they buy all these expensive cars, none of which are fitted with indicators, but they buy them and they race them around the roads because that is their status symbol. Or the status symbol of a bigger house and building something that people will look at them and say, yeah, they're successful. We're going to see tonight that the Tower of Babel was just that, a status symbol. It was a status symbol. It was something that was being built so that people will look at the builders and look and glorify the builders. And in Genesis chapter 11, it's all about what I can do. Not me personally, but what the human can do. And so let's just jump in to a few of the verses and see what we learn. If we jump into verse 3, and they said to each other, this is Genesis 11, verse 3, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and bitumen for mortar. Well, on the surface, that sounds okay, doesn't it? If we're going to build, we need to make the bricks first, and then when we've got the bricks, we're going to build. But there is, in those very words, an echo of Genesis chapter 1, where God says, let us But now the creator has gone from God to man. And God, yes, made man, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. And God began the first building project back in Genesis at the beginning, because he made the heavens and the earth, and he also made man. And God's purpose for making man is very different, but significant for this story. Man would exercise dominion upon the earth, but under God's authority. That's the difference. God longed for humankind, for mankind, to be successful, to build, and to do great things. But under the authority of God. And back at the beginning in the garden, the authority was taken. We do things on our authority. How many times when you've heard somebody who's being challenged, you cannot tell me what to do. It's often a response, isn't it? I'm sure school teachers have heard that said to them, who do you think you are telling me what I can do? We say exactly the same to the God. You cannot tell me. You. 
God is not opposed to kingdom building. In fact, God created man with the express wish to build a kingdom and to have dominion on the earth, but to labour for the advancement of God's kingdom. So the words of the men who built Babel and the words of God when he made are similar. So we might want to just contrast them for a moment. And when we do, it becomes apparently that these city builders are up to no good. They are building a city and a tower, not under God to advance his kingdom, but they are seeking to establish a kingdom of their own. This is a difference. If we just pause for a moment and not necessarily discuss it, but just think about it. As we look at the problems of the world, how many of those problems are down to an individual or a group of individuals trying to build their own kingdom? And in building their own kingdom, they're going against God and against others. So that's the first drop in to chapter 11, verse 3. The second four drop in is we're going to go into verse 4. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower on its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we're dispersed over the face of the earth. Now we have the motivation for it coming out. Let us make for ourselves and make a name for ourselves. The sense that this is about self Glorification. Let us build a city with a tower on top and make a name for ourselves. Everybody's going to look at that and say, wow. And if you look at many buildings, who's the one who's recognised for it? The architect. And, you know, whether it's Sir Christopher Wren or Isambard and Kingdom Brunel, or many others, we know that they have made a great impact upon the nation. And their buildings are a testament to their skills. Their other architects would have preferred their name to be taken away from the building they designed. Um, but we won't go there. These men were very ambitious in Genesis. That is the strong desire to achieve something. That in itself is not evil. I praise God for those who've had a strong desire to produce something that has done good for the world. Be that something like antibiotics, which I'm sure you're grateful to God for on a few occasions. But... 
between a holy ambition and an unholy ambition, there is a huge difference. Ambition that acts for the glory of something other than the glory of God and the good of others is sinful. Often our ambitions are sinful. James in his book, in James chapter 3, verse 13, says, Whose is wise and understanding among you? By his good con conduct, let him show the works in meekness of wisdom. James is promoting that wisdom is meek, wisdom that first humbly submits to God and has God's word at his source, then we have ambition that is godly. A slight digression here is um, in churches. We've all heard of the super churches, those big churches, and the whole thing seems to focus around an individual or a brand that is something. And how often, sadly, we see those churches falling apart after time. Yet as a church, as the church of Jesus Christ, there should only be one to whom the glory goes. And so even in church life, we need to be careful of godly ambition and ungodly ambition. God does not have a problem with people building a tower. It's the motivation and the reason behind it. And this is that. James goes on. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. There's so much we could say about this, and you re realise that this passage in Book mentioned in the book of Revelation, how in Revelation it talks about the wickedness and the godless kingdoms in the earth, citing Revelation, sorry, Babylon, and you can read that in Revelation 4.8. And so, what's our second lesson? Who is it we're building for? Who is it we're building for? The second reading that Susan read to us talks about the foundation of Jesus Christ and building on that foundation. It does, however many thousand years, six, eight thousand years since this story took place, amaze me that it seems that the humans never learn from the past experiences. There's always that, we are going to get that one better, but then you know, we shouldn't be so surprised, should we, that we're in a major war situation at the moment 
Did we not learn every, anything from previous wars? I'm going to jump to the next scene. As I say, we could talk a lot more. The next scene is found in verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Interesting terminology, isn't it? The Lord came down. Well, if we know anything about the Bible, we know God doesn't need to pop down. He knows already. It's not like, oh, I must go down to Romford Baptist Church and see what they're like. I've been there lately. God was here before we were tonight and he will be here long after we've gone because he's always here. God is omnipresent. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. It's not a case that he just pops down when he wants to do his inspection like some kind of CQC or Ofsted inspector that many have to deal with in other lives. I apologise for those who have just caused fear by mentioning those very words. So why then in the text does it say that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower? The statement is ironic really. The Mesopotamians built their tower temple in the hopes that their God would come down to them. They built it high so gods would come down. But what actually happened is the true God came down. Not the gods they were hoping for, not the gods that they had built it for, the true God came down. And the true God is there and he's going to do something. And in a way, the way that the writer wrote it is a bit of a mocking. From a human perspective, those who built the Built the people in the plain, sorry, built by the people in the plain was an impressive sight to behold. How far they got in the process, we are not told. We do not know if they got up high or whether it was just starting to get that. We don't know. But we would be probably be sure that the project is an impressive engineering project. But from God's perspective, the project was small insignificant. So small was it that God had to come down to see it. This slide highlights how terribly short these people fell in, fell in reaching their goals to build a tower to which reached the heavens. The God of heaven had to come down to see it. Very often, people make ridiculous claims, don't they, about what they have achieved. And when you put it aside, what God has achieved, we see something that's not very big. 
We think we are so big and powerful, so intelligent and creative, so independent and supreme. But if we were to compare ourselves with God, the God who made us, we would see actually how small and insignificant we are. The book of Isaiah. Chapter 40, verse 21 to 23. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you since the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circles of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. Isaiah reminding us, and these sons of Ham and Nimrod were so proud of themselves, they thought they could reach up to the heavens with the tower they built, but God is so highly exalted above us and we are so small that he had to come down as it were to see their little achievement. And jumping back into this passage and the fourth verse I want to look at is that of verse 6. And the Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. It's not a problem. Human achievement's not a problem to God. And very quickly on this verse, I want to say, well, God needed to do something because in his mercy, he is opposed to progress that is godless. He is opposed to godless progress because it's neither for his glory nor for our good. The question really is, had this venture been successful, what would have come next? Of course, I'm left asking the question, well, what God, I, I understand you this tower, that's great. There's so much else you could have stopped. And we then have a whole discussion on free will and God's power. But we're very quickly taken from that into verse 7. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand one another speak. Confuse their language means that God caused the peoples who were then unified and speaking one language to speak many languages and thus it would be defined. Clearly this was an act of judgment because the people used their unity for evil. God cursed them with disunity. No longer were they able to communicate to build their city and their temple. They were dispersed. We might also view this 
as a simple act of mercy, by confusing their languages, by dividing them, God's restraint for the people of the earth from running headlong into sin. I don't know if you remember back to your school days. Well, teachers will remember this anyway. You get two troublemakers. What do teachers do? They split them up, don't they? You can sit in that corner, you can sit in that corner. Because actually separated, you're not going to cause trouble. But put them together, they, they just feed on each other and cause trouble. In a way, God's doing the splitting up here. Splitting the troublemakers up so that they can't cause the trouble they can't dream of on their own. By pouring out this judgment, evil was not stopped, but it was restrained. These men and women were running full speed towards the establishment of the kingdom of Satan and the Antichrist. And God showed mercy when he disrupted their plans. And God will do this from time to time in the world and in our own lives. He will disrupt plans that are not glorifying him. Significant to me that this was language that caused the confusion. Because if we go to the New Testament and the coming of the Holy Spirit on the church, we see a reversal of this, don't we? Suddenly on the day of Pentecost, where God is present and the Holy Spirit has come on the church, people are hearing no more confusion. Although they were confused that they could understand each other. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? But the unity was coming around the presence of God. presence of God was bringing a unity. But it's a presence where God is glorified and God is central. So for thousands of years there's been chaos. The Holy Spirit comes and God starts to do something about reversing that chaos. And in Revelation, you have that sense of the tribes being united and coming together and worshipping together with one voice and one song, worshipping God as God is brought back into the sovereignty, as God worshipped. What a contrast. You'll be pleased I'm moving towards a conclusion of this. Verses 8 and 9 of this passage we see some concluding remarks. So the Lord dispersed them from there over their from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. 
therefore it was named called therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth and found there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth we're not taken very much further here in this story but now we have the foundations built for the next part God has taken control and disrupted the powers and principalities and the spirits of the world and disrupted their happenings there are two kingdoms of this world the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man God is Lord and King over both kingdoms he is Lord and King over the kingdom of God for that kingdom is made up of those who desire to live in obedience to him and for his glory but he is also the Lord over the kingdom of man for God ultimately will be sovereign over all things. Even those, things, those who oppose and resist his rule are not outside his sovereign control. So let's make a few final points of application. First of all, the story of Babel should encourage us to be careful how we build our lives and what we build them on. Let us be careful, take care to build our personal lives according to God's word. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word does that. I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the floods arose, the stream broke out against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without foundation. When the streams broke against it, it immediately fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Let's take care as we seek to build Christ's church. We must build in accordance to God's word for his glory and not our own. We could be looking at the 1 Corinthians 3 passage for that. God, the master builder, laid the foundation. Sue read to us earlier. <coughs> but then let us also be careful how we pursue lives eternal, not by works, but by grace, not by efforts, but through faith in what God has built. <coughs> and then let us be faithful to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And the good news of God, that God is about transformation. 
So as I close what has been probably a fairly heavy sense of what's this about? Let me try and simplify it. A group of people wanted glory for themselves and wanted to overcome and get God out of the way. So they decided to build something that would beget them status. God came down and said it's not good. Chaos ensued. They spread out. God is still sovereign. And God rules over all. God is in control. Let's pray that he comes and sets his rule and reign. And as we just come towards the conclusion of our service, we're going to spend a few moments in prayer. Maybe from what you've heard tonight, you've got a prayer going on in your mind that you want to voice out loud. Well, Vicky's all armed with a microphone and she'll come around and just indicate if you want to lead us in prayer at the conclusion of this service. She'll come with a microphone so everybody, including those who are tuned in on at home, can hear the prayer. Let's pray. Just indicate if you want to. Thank you for allowing us to see another day. Thank you for the message you have given us tonight. Thank you for everyone who received the message. Thank you, God, for teaching us that we need not to prove anything to man. We need to prove to God. Lord, thank you for the message of refocusing us, helping us not to try to defend ourselves when we feel injustice, is done against us when we feel we need to show we can do better, when we feel we can give more than we can allow. Lord, this message uh, came close to home for me and I'm sure for others. Lord, you have taught me that God, vengeance belong to you, glory belong to you, all power belong to you. And once we put our strength in you, dear God, uh, all will be well. Lord, I ask you to have mercy upon the people who are at war today, those who are forced into war and those who are on the receiving side of war. Lord, I pray for the Russians who are forced into war. I pray for the Ukrainians who may be hurt because of it, as well as the Russians. God, we forget that the enemies, are God, are also your people. Lord, I ask you to bless everyone, everyone in a way that they will know that where there is life, there is hope. You know there is sadness and there is suffering. And as we speak, someone may be considering to give up on this earth. Help them to know where there is 
life there is hope and that weeping enjoyed for a night and joy will come in the morning lord i ask you to bless each and every one and where we have sickness and sadness and everyone who are forced to put on a strong face help them to know that you are there in sadness you are there in joy and if we praise you in sickness you will glorify us in sickness we need not have everything we want to give you praise lord thank you for life thank you for strength thank you for giving us there's energy that we can walk and come to church today god you know there's safety in worshiping at home but you said we must not forsake the gathering of the brethren lord help those who are listening online to know that while we are in the comfort of our home as i often enjoy we must not forsake the gathering and help them to come out there, God, even if it's once a month. And Lord, help us in our daily bread to remember the first tenth belong to you, dear God. Lord, help us to remember in our giving. If we have one pound and one penny belongs to you, it's the same principle if we have 100 pounds. 10,000 belong to you. Help us to give, dear God, because if we freely give, dear God, we shall be freely received. God, and help us to take whatever we have and multiply. Lord, you have asked us, dear God, to plant and multiply and bear fruits. God, you have taken away the talent from the person who saved it, and you have given that one who had most. Help us, dear God, to take the extra we have and try to multiply, be it to invest in someone who has hope, be it to invest into the church, be it to invest into a dream, be it to plant a seed. Help us tonight to leave today, knowing not only the message that we have to let the glory be to God and not try to defend ourselves, but we must remember that as as we receive we must give back to you and not wait until we have a lot i thank you dear god for everything in no other name but in jesus and almighty god name amen amen fathers we've been reminded tonight we thank you that um, that reminder that actually what we're doing needs to not be for ourselves, but actually our eyes should always be fixed on you. Father God, as we examine our own hearts, may we examine them, wondering about our own motivation. And if it's for us, then Lord, forgive us and help us to be motivated by that which you would have us do. Amen. So we close our time tonight by saying the words of the grace to one another. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.